a topic to discuss than Brexit, which uh, which is only the number two headline, somehow only the number two headline, I think, in, in 2020, um, for certainly us in, in the UK. Um, and, and Brexit touching all parts of, uh, of society, including, uh, including football. Uh, so a good opportunity to chat about the new work permit regulations that were announced a couple of weeks ago uh, by the FA and all the uh, various implications uh, that affect clubs for that. So shall we dive straight in, Dan? What, uh, what's the kind of history of, of access to talent for, for Premier League clubs and, and obviously how is, how is Brexit beginning to change that? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting theoretical and practical question because ultimately, you know, the Premier League post-first broadcasting deal back in 92, when you almost had that explosion of, um, you know, real high-profile foreign talent um, mm-hmm. from Chelsea and then the sort of Klinsman and Romanian guys, Dumitrescu and Petrescu and... All the other guys coming in at, um, I don't know why I've suddenly used that example, but never mind. <laughs> and, and almost the, the sort of um, developing into the sort of multicultural, um, broad nationality base that everybody loves about the Premier League, which is players from all around the world can come to, you know, without putting a crude word on it, um, the, the, you know, the most. Um, attractive league for wages uh, because teams can pay out big sums in transfer fees as well because of the broadcasting deal and within reason um some of the best talent in the world has we've been lucky enough to be able to watch on a um on a weekly basis now the way that things delineated previously was that because obviously i say obviously uk was in the european union and within the uh, european economic area um any European citizen, because of the free movement principles enshrined in the European treaties, and um, were able to move and travel around Europe, including the UK, without any type of restriction. So that meant that all European players didn't require anything more than showing their passport um, and being able to then be employed um, in the Premier League or the EFL. Um, and, and that's been, you know. I believe, in a lot of ways, a, a huge benefit for um, the attractiveness of the product for, for the Premier League. Now, always a query about whether does that, and there's a question more broadly about whether that um, means that mediocre European players can come in to the detriment of um, young up-and-coming um, Brits or home, home nations co- uh, country players. Um, but what effectively then happened is you had the delineation between those European players, whoever they were and whatever quality and standard they were, and then the non-European players that didn't have those free movement benefits, that then the uh, immigration, the, the home office and the immigration system had to ensure were of good enough quality to be able to then be employed um, by a Premier League or EFL team. And that was quite a pretty stringent bureaucratic regime, um, which usually encompassed a objective um, set of criteria based on the country that you play for and whether they were in the FIFA aggregate top 50 ranking positions and then depending on how many games you played and depending on where those those national team um, um, rankings were um, if you were playing let's just say 70% of all games for Brazil it's likely you're going to get a work permit if you were playing 
20% of games for the USA, for example, it would probably have been less likely that you would have got that work permit. And then after that, there were some semi-subjective objective criteria around how much the transfer fee was, how much the wages were going to be paid, which gave you a certain amount of points along with other criteria, um, which we don't need to go into as much detail with. With the backstop is that there was also an exemptions panel, more or less, which allowed a club to appeal if they didn't quite meet um, the first or second criteria, um, but could demonstrate um, that, you know, this, this player was a unique talent and would add significantly to the um, to the to the footballing talent pool within um, a particular UK club. So sorry to ramble on, but that was the that's the backstory from um, a free movement versus um, e, uh, non EU worker work permit system. So if I can if I can turn it back to you, for example, then is that we've got that background. We now have a newer system which we'll delve into, which is for anyone that isn't a UK citizen or doesn't have immigration rights to remain um, or going through the EU settlement scheme, um, effectively all players wanting to play in the UK, in the Premier League and the, the EFL will need to um, get a GBE, which is a governing body endorsement, um, in order to play a work permit to play um, in those leagues. And so um, what do you think some of those at least high level or sort of nuanced implications might be Omar of, um, of, of the new regime? Yeah, so I think on, on the old regime, I think clubs were broadly pretty happy with it um, because they had access to where the majority of, of talent was in the world, which is in, in Europe. And Europe it remains the kind of, um, I guess, centre of gravity of, of world football, if you like, where the majority of kind of elite players play. Now, there are, you know, obviously very good South American players and very good African players and, and so on. And, and clubs were able to access those players, but they weren't, you know, it's in, in the same way, I suppose, with trade. You tend to focus on your kind of nearest neighbours when, when it comes to trade. And it's the same with, with recruitment. You know, the first scout you send overseas isn't going to be to Japan. It's going to be to France. Um, and so the fact that we had free access to those markets was, was beneficial. The other thing as well that I think people um, often forget overlook is that a lot of players it, from Africa and from South America also had dual um, passports. So someone like Riyad Mahrez um, playing for Algeria, which may or may not have been outside the, the top 50 at the time when um, when Leicester signed him, uh, was kind of irrelevant because he actually had a French passport as well. I think he might have been born in France. So he effectively came in as, as a uh, EU player or EEA player uh, into the league. So I think... Clubs had had a kind of very happy situation, and I think um, most would have been comfortable, I suppose, sticking with that uh, with that regime. But obviously, post Brexit, that is impossible because you can't discriminate between EU workers and, and non-EU workers. You can't have different uh, regimes for, for each of them. Hence, the need to um, to come up with a new work permit system. Um, and in the end, obviously, we've kind of reached a reached a system which has got. A number of different levers, if you like, um, compared to what it was before. As you said, it was focused on um, on the international aspect plus the next stage. There were there are other aspects that that clubs could could get into, but now it's focused a lot more on the club um, or the, the players' club and his performance for that for that club, um, which um, you could argue is is perhaps more representative of a player's ability because you, there are players like Abamyang, for example, playing for Gabon. Abamian clearly one of 
you know, the best players in the world, certainly, you know, going back last season and the season before. Um, but playing for Gabon, you know, would, would have no chance of of, um, of getting a work permit. In fact, I think he probably would have got in on, on dual passport, uh, I imagine, French passport. Um, so, yeah, we've moved to a more club-based system and, um, and yeah, that's got obviously implications um, implications for clubs. So, yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's, quite a, it's quite a weighty document now with a number of uh, different criteria. Yes, and I've got quite a few notes on it already. You'll be pleased to, uh, you'll be pleased to see. And um, the bit that um, I'm interested in as well as a sort of philosoph- philosophical question, um, which I think I, I do believe is probably the right way, which is, you know, I, I think you measure a player's talent not by the team, the, the country they were born in or choose to play. You, 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 you gauge and measure the player's um, ability based on the team and the league that, that, that they are in. So I, I, my own views on Brexit are sort of well-known generally. <laughs> um, but, it, but specifically in terms of this iteration of the work permit regime, you know, regardless of whether we're in the EU or not, if this work permit regime came into play for non-EU players um, and we were still in the EU, I would actually still say I think this is a, a vast improvement to a degree because I think the most important elements, as I mentioned, those variables are not where your national team is ranked. It's where you as an individual um, are valued by the strength of the league, the strength of the team, and then how well the team is doing. Um to me, that's a very rational and sensible set of measures. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think um, that that was a direction I guess suppose I had to go into in order to ensure that a, a, the right players were being given access to um, uh, in world football. So I think that was that was a kind of natural step to take. The the question was then, how do you how do you begin to define team quality um, and through through a process, the you know the FA and, and Premier League have landed at a set of bands for leagues. Um, so bands one down to band six. Within bands one, you have the big five European leagues, which everyone pretty much acknowledges as um, you know the leagues that have the highest quality. They're, they're constantly the leagues that have teams in the latter stages of the Champions League. Um, so I don't think there'd be any real dispute there. But then it scales down from there in terms of the other leagues. So you get the likes of um, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, Turkey, and so on. I think band two, band three is a number of uh, like Brazil, Argentina, um, possibly uh, Russia, Mexico in, in that band as well. Um, and, and band three is actually the interesting one because that is historically the, ba- uh, the types of leagues that Premier League clubs have, have struggled to access mm-hmm. players. So players, young players out of Brazil, um, who again didn't have a Portuguese passport or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that... That's the kind of, um, I suppose, the opening that the uh, has been allowed, but the door has been shut on the kind of so-called European journeyman from Slovenia uh, playing in playing in the Premier League. Yeah, and if if I think it might be useful just to go back a, a tiny bit of a stage, which is um, the the way effectively, at least my understanding is the way that now the, the system works is that there's almost like a two-stage process. You have um, what what's been labelled uh, the auto pass, yeah, and and the auto pass more or less is um, a, 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 and like we actually talked about last time is um, that if the player receive the player will receive the the, the governing body endorsement if um, his international appearances meet the the criteria and that's effectively 
um, relating to his percentage of appearances and the team's aggregate um, ranking. So uh, when I was doing some, um, just doing some examples for a blog I've just written and published on it, um, for example, uh, positions one to 10, I think, included obviously national teams like Argentina, Brazil, France, and Colombia. It effectively means that if you've played 30% of those games as an over 21-year-old, um, you played 30% over a two-year period, you, you're, you're sort of automatically in. Yeah. Um, in the same way that I find it quite interesting that because of the current system that's in place now, if uh, if you're rank, a country ranked 21 to 30, so Japan, America, or even Venezuela, um, if you've made 60% appearances over the last two years as an over 21 player, you're in as well. Mm. Um, so that that's more to do with the strength again of the national team. But then the, the the bits that we've been discussing then is almost the the, the points mean prizes element, which is if the the auto pass route isn't engaged, um, then effectively you have this points based system, um, whereby I mean when I looked at some of the criteria, they're very interesting. It goes on domestic minutes, um, continental club competition minutes, final league position of the the selling club, continental club progression of the selling club, and league quality of the selling club. And what you have to effectively get, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Omar, because I know you've looked at these as well, is 15 points in order to um, get the GBE. Interestingly, if you're in a band one or band two um, um, league, the, the league quality of the selling club, if you're band one, automatically, almost automatically, gives you 12 points. Yeah. And band two, if I remember correctly, gives you almost 10 points. Yeah. So what it means um, is that if you, as we talked about, and maybe we can talk about that, for example, are even for a band two um, league like Belgium or Holland, for example, if, if you're automatically getting two, 10 points effectively um, as any player that plays a couple of minutes for um, a club in that league, you're not too far off from getting um, the GBE straight away. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, if you're if you're even playing, there is a kind of thirty percent minutes threshold um, where the points start counting. Um, but yeah, most players in in kind of band one and band two leagues um, would be able to to clear that threshold. There is also an exceptions panel again um, for players between ten and fourteen points. Um, so again, if you're if you're just someone who happened to have sat on the bench in Liga for Bordeaux, you'll have the option to go through an um, exceptions panel. Um, so, and the other thing to note as well is that the, the the minutes is based on available minutes. So you exclude any minutes based on injury suspensions. So uh, if you were trying to sign a Van Dyke equivalent for Bayern Munich, for example, it would ignore the fact that uh, Van Dyke has been, or it would account for the fact that Van Dyke's been injured uh, in that period. And you can say, well, he's clearly played 100% of minutes um, in, in the time in which he's been, been fit and ready to play. So... Yeah, there, there's there's kind of easy access to, to those top leagues. The trouble is, I think it scales down quite quickly. So the moment you start hitting band four and five, um, and, and obviously six leagues, which is the rest of the world, um, not only are you scoring fewer points for being in those leagues, you're scoring uh, fewer points for minutes in those leagues, you're scoring fewer minutes for higher finishing positions in those leagues. So the players that, that can be recruited from those leagues are typically the ones that are playing in the Europa League and Champions League or Libertadores, Sudamericana, um, because that's the way that clubs can earn those kind of five, six, seven points um, that, that can then tip them over uh, over the 15-point bar because they'll only be 
earning kind of four or five from from their own um, from their own domestic leagues. So the I think the one of the implications of clubs like that that, that Champions League, um, the Libertadores, the um, Sudamericana, Europa League are suddenly become going to become even more hotbeds for for recruitment because if you're looking outside the major leagues, that's pretty much your scouting pool now. It's players playing in those competitions. And as a result, then maybe you touched on it before. Are there particular strategies that are either buying clubs, but also to be fair, selling clubs will start thinking about? Because if, for example, you're in a band two or band three league, and you're, you know, maybe a traditionally uh, a high end selling club, um, are you looking to ensure? that even maybe some of your middling players that um, may still be attractive for bigger leagues, well, the UK league, for example, um, that they will then be able to qualify for work permits. Might that go into the, even into the rationale potentially of selecting players for particular games to make them more attractive or to give that reassurance that a transfer might be possible? Yeah, I think um, you're going to see gaming of things on on both sides so from the selling clubs perspective if a club doesn't want to sell a player then then they might not play him um and and that will reduce his points if he falls under a threshold or the team doesn't win the league or or whatever um so i think you will you will see that and equally you will see clubs really trying to um grow the value of of, or grow the points of players by giving them more minutes if they're a young player uh, for example you know so so i don't know if Dinamo Zagreb have an 18-year-old that's highly sought after by English clubs, but wouldn't um, cross the 15-point barrier. The Dinamo Zagreb might decide to play more, so you can accumulate the points it gives in the minutes. So I definitely think there'll be there'll be a lot um, of thinking that that goes into it um, on on both sides of uh, the equation. The other thing as well is that increasingly Premier League clubs have sister clubs or even other owned clubs in in other countries and um, this is where the Belgian market is going to become very interesting because not only does Belgium itself um, have much lower restrictions on signing EU players compared to Netherlands or um, you know equivalent leagues in Scandinavia um, it it's a band two league so if I'm looking at a player in uh, I don't know Slovakia, and he only scores four or five points. Um, then I can sign him, but not bring him into the UK, but just re-register him at uh, at a Belgian club for twelve months. And if he performs well there, and the team does does well, and he scores the points, and that player will be able to come over um, twelve months later. So I think you're going to see a lot of that, uh, or a fair bit of that, for, for players who are particularly the young players on the fringes. And and there has been built into the criteria. A lot of kind of youth criteria to try and help clubs access some of that young play, some of that young talent, but it's always a challenge accessing um, young players who haven't accumulated experience yet. So, do you, are you meaning there that clubs might have more informal agreements with um, uh, clubs in leagues like Belgium, or are you? Sorry, I missed maybe the first part of that. So, are you saying also that obviously the clubs with multi-club um, um, multi-club clubs? Um, will be able to take advantage of um, semi-destinations for them to be able to bring players into the more, well, UK, let's just take City Group, for example. Yeah. You know, um, they've got other um, um, other clubs in particularly more attractive jurisdictions to be able to do um, exactly that. 
Um, and also, I guess the point is as well, is that Belgium might become an interesting one because their ability to be able to then, and, and Portugal to an extent, um, to be able to source non-EU players that may still not have met the criteria anyway for the UK work permit system to go into then those leagues. So it's almost like Belgium becomes an EU and a non-EU hotspot for the UK to a degree, almost like a hub in uh, hub and spoke to a degree in that respect, so that um, UK clubs can then access anyone, any nationality, so long as they meet the objective criteria for those particular clubs in those particular attractive band leagues yeah and, and to an extent clubs have already been doing this pre-brexit um there have been signings of players um i'm trying to think of uh, of some that come to mind but i know man city have signed a couple of brazilian players um that haven't uh passed the the existing work permit criteria uh, and have then loaned them out to a girona or to nac Bredo or whoever um, as a result. So it won't be a change of activity per se, but it just might become more prevalent now, I think, um, with um, with the fact that a lot of the EU market in particular has been, been closed off at the, at the lower levels. Um, I've just seen a, a question as well from, from Ollie um, on with English clubs not being able to sign youth foreign players once Brexit kicks in. Do you see clubs with Cat One Academies focusing on larger UK recruitment strategy? So I think that's the first thing on the lack of ability to sign 16 and 17 roles. How big a deal do you think that is? Um, because the Cesc Fabregas example is thrown up, but is how commonplace is that? Well, I, I read a great piece that Ollie Kay wrote in The Athletic this week, and then Raf Honigstein wrote a one, um, sort of giving the opposing view, which I really enjoyed as well. And again, it's how you measure success generally. But if Cesc Fabregas, PK, Bellerin and others and, and Pogba, I think, as well, um, are somewhat of the outliers is the truth to forming, you know, long-term, forging long-term Premier League international um, careers. And um, Ali Kay gave a huge number of examples of, unfortunately, you know, the best 16 and 17-year-olds in the world coming, or New Europe coming to the UK, and for tons of different reasons, you know, not quite being the success or, you know, going off to other places on loan for a number of seasons, all the usual stuff that we hear about. Um, and so I, whereas previously my initial reaction had always been bad because actually you, you don't, you know, really you don't want to, clubs won't want to fetter their ability not to be able to, to sign such players. But at the same time, I would be really interested in the, if there's a statistical approach that maybe even you guys have probably done already, um, which talks about um, you know the relative success of six of players recruited at 16 or 17 to have made over 50 Premier League appearances, for example, which I, I'm not convinced is particularly high. Yeah, it's. I don't think the numbers are high, but I think the other thing you've got to consider is that when you sign elite players from Netherlands and France and Germany and so on, you can imagine what it's like having. A bunch of elite 16 year olds surrounding your English 16, 17 year olds, and actually you a high performance environment then. And the approach, I mean, it's a bit of a kind of crass or crude way to say it, but the approach with, with young players is that it's almost like stocks and shares. You don't expect all of them to come in, but but actually if you 
get the right distribution, if you like, then then one or two will um, will emerge as, as kind of high potential talents. And some of them might be EEA players, some of them you know might be UK based players. So I think that's part of the kind of lost that clubs are feeling. I think uh, Philip on the comments making the point that, that I was making, I suppose, about senior players, but then also with, with young players um, on English clubs potentially signing the 16 year olds, parking them somewhere else, and mm. then and then sign them later. Interestingly, that won't be able to work the other way. So Jaden Sancho wouldn't be able to go to uh, a Dortmund aged 16, 17. Uh, they wouldn't be able to kind of park him anywhere otherwise, other than in England, as it were. Um, so that there might be a downside for English players because we have seen a lot of English players um, going across in the last few years, age 16, 17. Well, um, the question there, just yeah, very briefly, Omar might be, and I don't know the answer to that, is obviously then different European leagues will have or countries will have different immigration rules for non-EU players. So I think the point there is depending on each individual immigration governmental policy, you know, that some will be stricter than others. And and even more so, you know, I think it's in countries even like Spain, there's quotas for non-EU players um, that famously Bale was filling one of them or would fill one of them, I guess, if he goes back to the, back to Madrid. So that's the 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 lack of reciprocity, if that's the right way of saying it to a degree, is not only do we lose the ability to be able to bring in, but we lose the ability as a European member state to be able to then get, give our youngsters and others and other players experience um, in in other leagues, which is usually seen as an advantage. And and coaches as well, uh, which there's a set of work permit criteria for coaches. You know, I I think a Graham Potter, I think he's just such a brilliant case study um, for a pathway for, for English coaches where, um, you know, he wasn't able to get an opportunity within England, didn't have a kind of huge playing career to kind of lean back on and, and, and put his CV on the table in that respect. So went to Sweden and three, you know, three promotions with, with Ostersunds, got them to the Europa League. Um, and, you know, since moving to, to Swansea and then Brighton and, you know, in, who knows down the line, he might become a future England manager. Um, but that route may be cut off depending on what, what restrictions um, individual countries have on, on coaches. So, yeah, I think we're, we're obviously going to learn a lot in this transfer window coming up, how clubs feel about the, the new work permit criteria, what, what areas they feel have been opened up, what the feel, areas they feel have been cut off. Uh, but I think as with, Brexit itself, I suppose, the there's going to be downstream implications that won't be realised for 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 years um, that um, we might not even be thinking about now, but might come down the line. We've got a good question from Olivier. Do you think, um, maybe this one for you, Omar, and we get another question further down the line. If it costs a few million pounds to buy a foreign player, will some clubs decide to buy a respective club in a, in a I guess, in a, a European-friendly country? I think the, my, from what it's worth on my side, it's not easy to run a club, <laughs> um, is the truth, even though the, the short-term economics might sound quite attractive. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've heard um, owners of clubs saying, you know, it's hard enough to run one club, let alone two. Um, and I think the, the, the clubs might look to yeah partner up and and say that you know look we can give you access to um because of because we're liverpool we're going to be able to sign a young croatian 
Uh, we're going to be able to attract a young Croatian, but we won't be able to bring him to the Premier League immediately. So you actually get him for a good part of his development for 12, 24 months. And I think that would be attractive to a lot of clubs, particularly right now um, because of COVID. You know, a lot of clubs in smaller leagues are struggling. So, mm. yeah, it's. Um, I, I think that will be the approach for a lot of teams rather than necessarily buying because, it, as you say, it's hard to run clubs. Just a quick one by uh, Philip as well, just before we, we finish up, which is, he was saying there's real real worries with regards to the integrity of the game with manipulation of playing time and appearances to restrict prospects. And I was giving this a bit of thought the day. I know we've talked about it in terms of gaming systems and stuff, but I think in a way it's really important not to not to consider consider what these regulations are in isolation from every other EU country's free movement provisions as well. It's not like because um, we, i.e., UK clubs, might be restricted from getting a work permit. Me, it doesn't mean the same will be the case in any other, you know, comparative league in a way. So yeah. I know that there's the attractiveness of the Premier League, but is it that much difference to the Bundesliga? Is it that much difference to La Liga? Is it that much difference to Serie A, for example? And I, I th- I'm not sure it will be front and centre of every club executive or manager's mind to be thinking we need to roadblock the possibility of a Premier League um, work permit application acceptance because ultimately at the same time the avenue is still relatively straightforward for those other you know mainstream elite leagues across Europe. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. I think, um, and if anything, I, I suspect European clubs won't be roadblocking; they'll actually be trying to encourage their players to, to get minutes. And as we've spoken about, that there's not workarounds, but you know clubs will look to sign these players anyway, even if it means delaying you know, twelve months. So we're at just after half seven. There was just a question from Darren, which was, is the show available to download after? Yes. So if you look at um, Omar's um, Periscope channel on Twitter, it automatically gets downloaded to there. It's also on my YouTube channel, which is, um, you know, my name, Daniel G. And we do put out a few clips throughout the week of the pertinent bits I'm interested because usually those pertinent bits are the articulate bits that um, Omar answers and the questions that I sometimes give. So sure. we can have words with the editor on that one, but you know. Never mind. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks, Dan. I think it's been a good little run of uh, we've had what, seven or eight different shows over the last last few weeks, um, and uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. And we'll we'll catch up again in in the new year. Um, hopefully, with some new content. Probably again on Brexit, we'll we'll know a bit more then as well uh, as to what's happened, but. Uh, yeah, no, really enjoyed uh, enjoy these chats over this side of Christmas. Well, I think, yeah, thanks. And I think, um, you know, the, the topical area of the transfer window and transfers coming up maybe first week of Jan or otherwise, um, I think will um, we'll play into the hands of, um, yeah, what we can maybe talk about for those first couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, have a, have a great Christmas. And thanks thanks to everyone who's, who's watched and tuned in over the last few weeks. And we'll uh, catch you all soon. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, 
podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.